Growing a successful design business is hard work. There's so much to do and so little time to get it all done, not to mention the actual design work. The good news is that we are here to help. I'm Krista, the WordPress developer and website strategist from KristaRay.co. And I'm Corey, the designer and creative coach from CoreyWoodard.com. In the Get Back to Design podcast, we're going to share strategies and tools to help streamline and grow your design business, ditch the code and anything else you don't love, and well, get back to design. Grab a cup of coffee, open that Illustrator file you've been working on, and let's dive in. I am so excited to bring on today's guest, who I'm guessing a lot of you love just as much as I do. Morgan Rapp has been creating brands and websites for over eight years. She's a Shopify expert and teaches designers how to scale, get booked out, increase their prices, and build profitable design businesses. And she actually spoke at my summit earlier this year about scaling, and based on everything I learned and the insanely positive feedback from the attendees, I knew we had to get her on the podcast. So today, I'm so excited to have her here to talk about the keys to scaling a design business to six figures. Welcome, Morgan. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. This is going to be so much fun. Before we dive in, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. So how did you get started with your business and what has your journey looked like up until now? Yeah, so <laughs> I know I'm like, how far back do you want me to go? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I feel like I've had a business for a little while now, but it definitely has been a journey. So um, growing up, I was always artistic, I would say. So I actually did APR in high school. Um, and then in college, I probably should have gone to school for graphic design, to be honest, but I didn't because I wanted to graduate quickly. So I did marketing and PR, um, which does kind of, you know, blend in a little like with what I do. Like, I think it still worked out okay. But my last semester, I actually took um, like a Photoshop slash website class and I became obsessed. <laughs> the last <laughs> so semester. Had, like, my major. Um, so I remember I would just Google things and I watched YouTube tutorials. And this was back before even like courses were really like a thing. Like I, I don't even know if Skillshare was around yet. Um, so I was just using YouTube and Google, like honestly, and just practicing and doing little projects and now if I were to go back and look at some of those, I would die. <laughs> They're so terrible. But I also had a blog, like a blog spot blog, where I just kind of blogged like personally. Um, and then that's how I became a little bit more interested in web design was I wanted to, oh, wait, first I had a MySpace page, actually. <laughs> so I wanted to revamp my MySpace page. So I started there. And then um, I wanted to revamp my blog. So then I started doing that and just like Googling stuff and playing around. Um, so I created graphics for that as well as like my class, which is like basic, basic HTML. Um, and then some of those like skills I started to use in some like PR classes and things like that, um, when I needed to design a few things. So that's kind of how I got started with design. But so I'm basically self-taught, like I didn't go to school for graphic design and I just kind of kept teaching myself like after school. Um, and then I went on a mission for my church. So I left for a year and a half and like moved back East for a little while. And then when I came back, I got a job at this art company. Um, they did religious art. And initially I was just 
like an assistant pretty much. Um, but they did have an art department and I really wanted to like move and work over there. And then I got married and we moved for a few months just for my husband's job, came back and I actually got a job in the art department because my friend was there. So then that was like my first official graphic design job. Um, which was fun. So I started to learn the programs a little bit more. I actually was spent more time in InDesign because we did a lot of like big catalog layouts and things like that. And then it was kind of cheesy art. It wasn't really things I was like excited about. And the environment also was not the best, like as far as the coworkers and stuff. And so I remember I would just like pray all the time to have my own business and do my own thing. And so meanwhile, I had started doing some of my own side stuff. And I actually was working with my friend Jane at the time. Um, she started like a wedding invitation business. And so I was like, Hey, can I help you out with marketing and stuff? And then I started doing some of the designs. So that's kind of how we got our first initial start. It was definitely just a side thing, just kind of for fun. We didn't make enough money, you know, to, um, to do our own thing yet. So we both had our full-time jobs and yeah, it was just kind of for fun. <laughs> Um, so we were basically a wedding invitation business for a little while. And then meanwhile, both of us started getting more requests for branding, for websites, kind of independently. So and we realized that was much more profitable than wedding invitations. And so we eventually rebranded to October Inc. and stopped doing wedding invitations. And then one day I just was like, you know what? I am not happy and I'm going to quit and take the leap. So um yeah, we both quit our jobs about the same time. And it was around the same time I got pregnant with my son as well. So it was like seven years ago. Um, yeah. So that's kind of like the beginnings. And so I had my business with my friend for a little while. And then the last few years, she like transitioned out of the company because she started like a baby journal business. Um, but yeah, so I've been doing my own thing now for a while. And it's been great. <laughs> Wow, what a journey. And it's it's really fun to see how, you know, I guess at the time it probably like felt like a crazy roller coaster, but it was all just kind of leading you step by step to where you are now, which sounds pretty incredible. And you're not offering one-on-one -on -one design work anymore, are you? I still am, but being more selective for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, because I have been offering new things this year. So I started offering courses and you know, doing mentoring and coaching and things like that. But I love design so much. I don't want to completely stop, but I just want to be more selective and just kind of, yeah, work with clients on a selective level. Um, but I'm still designing and, and working with clients, but, and mostly focusing on Shopify now. So and e-commerce okay. brands. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I love that now you have that freedom too, to be really picky about who you work with and just work with the people you really want to. I think that's great. Mm -hmm. um, and chart plots. <laughs> yes. Yes. That, which leads us right to what we're talking about, which is scaling a design business to six figures. But before we dive into that though, I think for a lot of our listeners, the six figure mark is going to feel like really far off and really intimidating. And I'm wondering, Wondering if you ever felt that way. What did the, and if so, like what the mindset shift looked like for you when it became like less scary? Yeah. So I feel like there is this, yeah, there's this in between point where a lot of designers hit where they feel really stuck. And that's where I was for several years. And I also didn't even really think about hitting six figures, honestly. It wasn't even really a desire for a long time. Um, so I was around like 30 to 50 K for like four years. 
in my business. And for me, that was fine. Like at the time, like it paid our bills. We actually didn't have a lot of bills. We lived in like a basement apartment. I was happy just to like have someone pay me to do something I love. And so I feel like a lot of designers kind of sit in that area for a while um, because you're sort of just grateful to do your own thing. Like that's where I was. But then all of a sudden I had this switch where I was like, you know what? I would actually like to make really good money doing this. And I think it took me some time to really feel like I deserved that. And I feel like that is one of the biggest mindset shifts of feeling worthy and deserving of making a really good income from design, not just like an okay income or to make your bills, but to actually feel like you have abundance. And I think that that takes some inner work and some personal work as well along with that. Um, Like I've been exploring more of the mindset thing because I didn't realize how important it was and what my own mindset shifts or blocks were with how much I could charge and how much companies could afford. And I realized that I had probably been leaving money on the table for a long time. And that um, over time, I started to really see the results clients had after working with me as well. So I feel like it is kind of a time thing, too, where the more you work with clients, the more you see their growth after working with you and you start to really know what your value is. And so then you start to believe that you can charge more because I think you tend to put a cap on yourself of how much you think companies will pay. But the reality is, is that there are businesses of all sizes. And so there's all kinds of budgets too. Obviously, there's more businesses who have smaller budgets because there's more small businesses than big businesses, right? But really like there are budgets of all sizes. And I really think time helps with that. Like I've been in my business for a long time. Um, But it's something I wish I realized sooner because once I had that shift, that's when I gained the confidence to actually like work on my sales techniques. And I had this shift where I realized I was in sales, not just design. Like, and I feel like that was a huge shift for me too. I was like, oh, I actually need to have sales skills. (laughs) Like for whatever reason that did not like, like ding in my head. Um, and so I started to work on myself personally and um, work on my business, not just in my business. And I think that was like a huge shift for me. I love that. So when you say working on your business, um, do you just mean like kind of the marketing side and admin side and streamlining things and stuff like that? Yeah. So for me, it was more, um, I mean, I think systems are important, but I was investing in myself. So like I started out purchasing some courses, you know, and then I eventually I invested in like a business mastermind. So I always pushed it aside because I was like, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. By the way, I have three little kids under five. So <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> side note. just a side note. Um, I am a full-time mom. Um, as of a couple months ago, my husband's home now. I was just telling Krista before this call. So now I'm like working a little bit more, but I've always juggled having little babies at home or little kids. Um, and so it's always been a little bit crazy, but I was just like, I don't have time to work on my business. So I just kept working in my business and just taking projects and undercharging pretty much. And I was like so burnt out um, because I knew I wanted to make more money. So I was just kind of having more volume, but it was totally burning me out. And I'm starting to resent my business, which I think a lot of designers relate to when you're in this phase. And so I was like, 
I finally got to a point where it was so painful. Like I had to change. Like I literally had no choice because I, I had days where I was like, I just seriously want to shut everything down. Like I am done. Um, I want to fall off the face of the planet. Like I don't want anyone to know who I am or what I'm doing. I don't want any more clients. It's almost like I get an inquiry and I'd like my heart would sink. You know what I mean? I was like, okay, that is some like, there's something wrong. <laughs> That's not normal. Like I should be so grateful and so excited for these inquiries, you know? So, um, so yeah, so it got to a point where I just like, couldn't function anymore and I didn't like my business. So I was like, okay, this is painful enough to where I'm going to change and I'm going to invest to figure out what's wrong and what I need to do. Um, so that's kind of the first, first thing I did was just like investing in courses, working on my own mindset and learning some practical like sales knowledge. So I felt more comfortable talking about numbers with clients, um, talking about budgets, like really controlling the sales call as opposed to going in and not having any kind of plan or knowing what I'm doing. Um, I just looked at myself differently. Like all of a sudden I was like, I am a business owner. I'm not just a freelancer. Like I have a business and I'm going to take this seriously and like improve my business and learn like what it takes. So I would say that was kind of the biggest shift for me. And whenever I invested that money, it forced me to spend time on it as opposed to just like free podcasts and stuff. Like, I think there's so much great information out there. Like, don't get me wrong. But for me, that investment is what forced me to take that time and set it aside. Like I had to show up, you know, I showed up for the calls and like I showed up for the homework because I had invested that money. So that's what I think is different between like free content and then joining paid programs is if like you kind of need that accountability sometimes, you know? For sure. Yeah. And that, I mean, that is such a huge mindset shift. Kind of everything you just covered is such a big mindset shift, like looking at yourself as more than a designer and being willing to invest in things as long as you're going to get a return from it, which means you need to put in the work. And like there, there's just so much that goes into that. But let's dive in and talk about scaling a design business to six figures. And I know you have like steps in place for this. So let's dive into the first step. What does that step look like? Yeah, definitely. So we've already been talking a little bit about mindset, but you definitely have to believe that you can charge what you want to charge to get there. Um, because so often I hear from designers, like I can only charge X amount for a logo, I think, or this is only what businesses will pay. And you just have to know that like businesses have all kinds of budgets. <laughs> So like, don't get stuck in that and don't show up thinking that you know exactly what the client is going to be willing to pay because it is across the gamut. And like, you're basically bringing in your own money beliefs into the call. And so you have to kind of really work on what are your own money beliefs and mindset blocks around that first in order to, I think, bring in a different energy into your sales calls and into charging more um, because if you don't believe it, the client's not going to believe it, that you are worth the money. And so part of this is also asking more about the client's goals and their bigger vision. You need to get better at that because otherwise um, the client is diagnosing all of their problems and you're not stepping into the expert role and saying, hey, like, I know that you're diagnosing that you need a bandaid on this problem, but maybe you need heart surgery, right? Like, it's just so funny because as designers, we're so scared to step into that expert role. But if you think about it, like 
if you went to the doctor and you're like, Hey, I have this pain in my chest, but you know, I think I just need a bandaid on it. Or it's this problem. The doctor wouldn't be like, okay, send you on your way. He'd be like, no, let's, let's do an x-ray. Let's see what's actually going on. Right. Like he would ask you questions and then he'd be like, no, this is what is actually happening. Right. And so as designers, we often don't step into that expert role and we don't actually ask the client questions about what is actually happening because clients self-diagnose, they're trying to figure out what's happening in their businesses or why they're not getting the sales they want or whatever. And we're so scared to ask them those questions and to go deeper into what their real issues are. So recently I had a client who did this. They were like, Hey, I want to make these two tweaks to our website. Like, can you change the menu right here? Can you do this? And I was like, well, let's step back a little bit. Like, why do you want to make these changes? Why? Like, what result do you believe is going to happen by making these changes? It turns out that they actually needed a full website redesign pretty much. So I was able to turn that project from like $1,000 of work to $20,000 of work just by asking them the right questions and really diving deeper into what their real long-term goals were. Because what they really wanted was for clients to be able to, it was an e-commerce site. So they wanted clients or customers to be able to shop as quickly as possible to um, organize all the different products, like to increase their conversion rates. They really had these big goals and they thought that changing this little thing on the menu is what was going to do it, but it wasn't. Um, so you're also helping them not throw away money too, right? Because you're like, you can throw money at this problem, like just a little bit of money, but it's going to be a waste. Because really like there's so much more we could do to really achieve your goals. Um, so just by asking those questions and not being like, yep, yeah, I'll just do this work and move on. Like I was able to turn that project around into like a much bigger project, but actually really help them achieve their goals in their business too. So I feel like it's like a win-win. Yeah. And seriously, everything about that is such a powerful shift. And there are, there are several pieces going on there. It's the mindset part, but I feel like in order to get that, get to the mindset part where you're okay with charging a decent amount, um, you have to I guess, be confident in your ability to offer offer those services worth that amount. And it comes down to your belief in your own value with, which I think a lot of times does require maybe a tweak to the way you do things. So you are paying more attention to that. But I hear so many like designers when they're talking about how much other people charge, like, oh my gosh, this person is charging X amount, like 10,000 is what I hear a lot. I, I would never charge that much, blah, blah, blah. But really, like if you're going about it the right way, like, you know, with what you're talking about, you're asking the questions, you are taking care of diagnose, diagnosing the problem and you're diving in, it is, worth, it is worth that to them and so much more when they have a website or a brand or whatever that does what they need it to do. And when you have the ability to, to provide that, it can lead to that mindset shift, which is what you're saying was the first step. Yeah, totally. And we'll dive more into this, but I didn't charge 20000 because of the amount of hours I was going to be putting in, by the way. Um, so that is another like mindset shift as well, is we're so trained to charge depending on input in our exact hours. So that was another thing that I changed was I don't evaluate all of my prices based on my hours. In fact, I don't talk about hours of clients. I don't have an hourly rate anymore. Um, so I charge on value. And so that was like another big shift that I made in my business. Because um, previously, I think usually clients start with, or I mean, not clients, usually designers start with um, hourly rates. And so they're just, that's how they think about everything and the results are going to give to their clients. Um, that's how 
you know, things work when you, you know, work for in the real world, like when you have a real job, like you are paid hourly. So that's the only way you really know how to charge at first. And then you start to realize there's all these issues with hourly rates that start to happen. (laughs) That's like maybe another episode. I have so many stories about that. I don't have an hourly rate anymore. Just kind of like short story, like because clients focus so much on my time instead of the results that they need. And I found that my work suffered, the quality of my work suffered because of that. Um, Anyway, so then the next level is you start to do flat rates, which I think makes more sense because the client knows what they're paying. You know what you're going to get, but it's tricky because sometimes you might underestimate the amount of hours it might take you. And it still takes a little bit of experimentation, but I think it's a better step than hourly. And then the next step is um, value-based pricing, which I think does take some some more confidence and sales skills to get to that. So I'm not saying every designer should just jump to that, but there are definitely ways to experiment and to start to get there and transition. Um, So I didn't really just like jump right into it, but I started to experiment with value-based pricing. I did some things wrong and learned some really good lessons as well, because just because a client makes millions of dollars in their business, it still doesn't mean that they see the value of design. So it's not just saying, oh, this client like has a, a lot of money in their business. They're, they're going to be willing to spend a lot. That's not really how it works. There's actually a lot of nuances to value-based pricing to you that I've learned over the last couple of years. Um, but that shift for me of not evaluating like my hours for everything and charging just based on that or my input Um Instead, I charge more on the value. So something might take me less time, but I might charge more. So it really is a little bit of a shift, I think. Oh, for sure. And like like you said, that kind of thing just takes experimenting. So I'm sure, you know, if you're listening, you've never done that before, just start somewhere and make adjustments as you go. And that's exactly what I've done every every few months when I get booked out a certain amount, I just raise my rates a little more. I don't look at how many hours it takes me. I don't, you know, I don't figure that in at all. Um, but it's just like small adjustments that make you maybe a little bit uncomfortable uh, that get you to where you need to be with that. Yeah, totally. Or if you're talking with a client and it's a little tricky if you do have your rates like on your website, but if you're talking with a client that all, you know, maybe it's Target or something like that. Like, I mean, that's obviously a more extreme, like big client, but like, are you going to charge Target the same as you're going to charge like your cousin who just is starting out in business and needs a website, right? Like their goals are totally different and the value that they see from the work is totally different. Also, the personality of the client is totally different. Like I charge more if I sense that the project might be a little bit harder personality wise, or like you said, if you're booked out, like it's going to be more stressful energetically for you to take on that project, you should charge more. Um, So yeah, there's lots of reasons why I don't have my pricing on my website, but part of it is because I do value-based pricing. And also I just change my prices like all the time. So um, I know that's like a big question for designers, like, do I have my pricing on there? Do I not? And my answer always is depends on your business model and sort of how you're doing your pricing. If you're charging everyone exactly the same, I think you can have your pricing on there. But also my, my approach too is that I like to get clients on the phone, even if I don't think they have the budget just for practice. 
and for practicing talking about numbers and sales. Um, because so often I hear designers like, I don't want to waste my time with people, but I'm like, okay, that time is not wasted because you are learning sales skills. And so it's all about how you approach it. Um, cause like a lot of people like are trying to weed out all the low budget people, then all of a sudden they do get a good client, but yet they haven't been practicing sales at all. So it's like all of those little conversations are prepping you for like when a good client comes along and meanwhile, you've been practicing and talking about numbers and like nailing your sales calls. So once you have that like good client, like it's just so easy as opposed to being so stressed out and being like, oh my gosh, I haven't had a sales call or gotten on the phone with anyone for a long time. Um, so I have a little bit of a different like approach around that, but maybe that's a side tangent. <laughs> I've, no, I love that. I love the the practice idea. I've never thought of it that way either. So step one was believing that you can charge what you need to charge. Did we cover any other steps in there or was that all part of step one? We covered a lot of good stuff if that was just step one. <laughs> yeah, I know. I have so many other things about this. Um, one thing also too is kind of mindset. Well, I don't know if this is more like marketing. This might be its own step. I don't know. But 1.5. <laughs> yeah, 1.5. A lot of times what I see a mistake designers make is thinking that they don't have to do marketing consistently to get clients consistently. Um, so even when you're having a famine of work and you're busy, like you still need to be thinking about like thinking ahead and like the next step. So you should still be creating relationships, doing, doing your best to show up consistently somewhere, whether that's Instagram or maybe you're, you know, focusing on Pinterest or whatever that is for you. Um, also, for me, like I get on coffee chats all the time with people that I think we could have possible collaborations or, you know, cross like refer work to each other. Um, you need to invest the time in marketing. And I think that sometimes yeah, as designers, we forget that or we get busy um, and then all of a sudden when clients dry up, you're like, why? Like what happened? <laughs> Cause really you're kind of planting seeds, I think. And to have consistent clients all the time, like you need to be planting seeds all the time. Um, not to say that to like make you feel overwhelmed or anything like that, but just like plan it into your time and do it consistently, even when like you're busy. So I don't know about oh, yeah. its own separate step, if that is really like mindset, but really just like, remember that you need to like include your marketing consistently in your business. Yeah, I feel like that is something that causes the feast or fam famine cycle. When you get busy with work, you can't just stop everything else. So I totally think that it's worth having like a time block, maybe twice a week, where even if it's just 30 minutes when you're really busy with work, where you're out there doing something, whether it's a coffee chat or scheduling some Instagram content or whatever it is, it's totally worth doing that a couple times a week to stay consistent so you don't get to the end of that famine cycle and or feast cycle and have nothing to do. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah, totally. And I think that if all of a sudden you're like, okay, I have no clients, I'm going to put all this work into it. Sometimes it takes time for clients to find you or to swing back around after you put all that content out there. So it really is something you have to think ahead if you want consistent clients, like, because it can take months for those seeds to grow and for a client to come, come find you. Um, so really, if you can be working on it while you're busy, you're going to have a lot better chances of having consistent clients. For sure. All right. So what is the next step? to scaling a design business to six figures? Yeah. So 
one thing I also want to talk about was knowing your numbers and having concrete goals. So this is another thing I see designers. I'm like, Hey, well, how much do you want to make a year? And they like, don't even know. <laughs> and I was like that too, where I was like, I don't know. I'm just happy to get paid. I was like, okay, that really is, those aren't goals. Like I didn't have serious goals in my business up until the last couple of years. And I feel like that's what really hurt me. And I know that seems so simple, but like you have to set those intentions um, and make yourself accountable to those intentions because otherwise a year is going to pass by and you're going to be like, oh, I didn't grow my income at all. Or I didn't meet those goals that I wanted. Maybe your goals aren't even income related, right? Like maybe you're fine keeping your same income, but then you want less clients, which means you have to charge more, right? So a lot of times, like, I feel like designers just don't do the numbers. Like if you want to get to six figures and you want to have 10 clients a year, you need to be charging at least $10,000 per client. And then you need to get even more specific. It's like, okay, well, that will get you 100000 in sales. But what other expenses do you have? Okay, you have taxes. That might take you down to $70,000 a year. So you need to get specific. Is that is your income goal what you want to make before taxes or after taxes? Do you know what your actual bills are every month to like, you know, pay all your bills, to pay for groceries? Like you need to do all those numbers and get specific. Look at your numbers every month. Say, okay, where did you know, this client come from, what worked well? Like, am I getting most of my clients on social media? Am I getting them through referrals and interactions? Like you just need to act like a business owner and know your numbers. I actually hire out uh, my accounting now. So I see my numbers every month. It's like 150 bucks a month. Like that is like the easiest thing to hire out. I think so start there. If you're still doing your accounting, like stop, please <laughs> just hire someone to help you. Um, it's so cheap and it takes so much time. And that is like time better spent elsewhere for yourself and your business, I think. Um, and like it, just the fact that someone else takes care of that. And then I just get a report. I'm like, okay, one less thing I have to worry about. And then I'm staying on top of it and staying consistent instead of being like, oh shoot, it's been six months and I haven't looked at everything or categorized my expenses or all of that. So I think you just really need to know your numbers in order to know what you need to charge or when you're going to lose money. Like, so with value-based pricing, it doesn't mean that just because a client doesn't value something that you don't charge a lot. Like you need to know when you're going to lose money on a project and what kind of your minimums are for taking on clients. Like, otherwise you literally will be losing money. So it's like, you have to know those numbers yourself um, in order to know what your prices are going to be. That is a really good point that you just made. I've had projects come in the door where, you know, I'm trying to find the happy medium between hourly and value-based. And I'm like, okay, they want me to make this, we'll take your menu example. They want me to make this tweak to, to their menu. That might take me, let's just say like 10 hours. That would be like $1,000 for them. That's a tweak to their menu isn't worth $1,000. Like I can't do that. And, you know, my default would be, okay, I'm just going to lower that price. When no, sometimes it just doesn't make sense to accept a project. And that's something we need to, maybe that's another mindset shift we need to add here is um, not every project that comes in the door is worth taking for one reason or another. And especially if uh, it's not going to be worth it for you to do. So I'm glad that that kind of came up in there. But I, I definitely agree that the knowing your numbers is so important. And I, I feel like uh, if we kind of consider ourselves more of the creative type, the numbers thing just kind of feels like there's such a disconnect there. 
Uh, but it can be something simple that, like you said, Morgan, if you hire it out and just kind of check in once a month or have them send you a report once a month. So you can just take a quick glance, see how you're doing in relation to your goals, make sure you're not throwing money away anywhere you don't need to. Uh, it, can, it can make such a difference to hitting whatever goals you've set for yourself. So I love that that's a part of this. Totally. And I think that so often we think we're making more than we actually are. And I know that's so like painful and, but you have to be honest with yourself and look at the numbers and say, okay, like I'm actually not making as much as I thought. And that sucks. What am I going to do about it? You know? So I think it motivates us. Um, Well, it should hopefully depending on how you look at it, but I've had several years where after I did taxes, I was like, oh my gosh, I have a hobby. Like, Right. Why am I like, this is worth it? Why am I like so stressed over this hobby I have? Because I didn't actually make that much money. Um, So that's when I really like changed things up in my business and invested in myself and was like, okay, like I am making this happen. I am scaling to six figures. But it took me like some time to have those realizations and really look at them, those like painful numbers. And a lot of times I didn't look at them because I didn't want to know. And I feel like I'm not um, unusual in this. I think a lot of people do that even with their own personal finances, like budgeting is not fun. (laughs) Like it's not fun. So you have to just be honest with yourself and then take some personal work of being like, why am I afraid of this? You know what I mean? Or how come I don't want to see it? And a lot of times it's because you think you're making more money than you are, but like you have to know that in order to know what to change. So I feel like it's really important. And then also something you talked about too was, like you need to know those numbers in order to know if something is profitable, but you get stuck in a lot of those tiny projects a lot of times that suck up all your time. And so when a better client comes along with bigger project with a bigger project, if your time is sucked up with all these tiny things, it's going to hold you back. So something that I'm working on right now is trying to say no to some of those smaller things because I've realized that I'm actually not doing a good job for those small clients because I don't prioritize those projects over the big ones. And it's starting to like create some issues where my time gets sucked up and I just want to say yes to everyone. I want to help everyone. And this kind of goes ties in with pricing as well. And another thing I see with law designers is you hate saying no to projects and you want to help everyone. And so you provide super custom work for these small prices and you feel so burnt out. Um, And this kind of segues into scaling where if you are stuck in this volume model, um, the next thing you can do is to offer less at the same price. Like I see a lot of designers who, you know, are charging very little for a lot. And that I would say if you're trying to raise your rates, sometimes you can just raise your rates or you create more minimal packages That's usually where I start with designers when I'm coaching them. I'm like, okay, what are you offering? Like, what is your ladder of services? Because the mistake I made in my business was for a long time was I was like, you can either work with me on this higher level or not at all. And the reality is, is like most businesses don't need like the bells and the whistles, right? Like, or they just can't afford it. So you need to offer like scalable services for them. So maybe your base package is, pretty minimal and it might hurt your heart not to design all their collateral and do all that. But you know what? The client can't afford it. Like they'll figure it out, but you're still going to help them from where they were. Right. Like, so maybe you're just going to do just their brand visioning and you're going to do their mood board and their logo, 
one secondary logo, color palette, fonts. Like you don't need to include social media graphics, business card, like um, copywriting, photography. Like you can create like that. I've seen so many designers have these crazy packages for so little. I'm like, no wonder you're burnt out. Like, no kidding. And I think a lot of it does stem from wanting to help the client, which is like really good intentions, but um, it's going to create problems for you and your business. And you're going to feel burnt out because you're offering so much and getting paid so level, so little. And I think that it's just a little bit of a mindset shift where you just have to know, like you're going to help clients on different levels and you're not going to always be able to do the bells and whistles. Those projects are so fun when you get to you. Majority of clients can't afford it though. So that's the reality. Mm -hmm. And also a lot of times if they're new and young and they have smaller budgets, like they don't even know what to do with all that stuff. <laughs> like just because we are designers and we're in the, like the art world and like the branding world, like we really value having everything be consistent and perfect and amazing. And we want that. But I feel like that stuff is really for clients who have budgets above $10,000, like to really dive into it. So a lot of times you're going to be offering smaller packages and I think that's okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. I love the, I love the tangents, which I say in quotes because there's just so much know, maybe, good stuff. Maybe it's like, it is a step to scaling. So maybe that is step number three. I don't know. <laughs> I've lost like my step count, but, um, but yeah, so I think it's a step. It's a step. I'm deciding. Um, but yeah, so you need to scale back your packages and be okay with tailoring things down and not being everything to everyone, which also is sort of a mindset thing. Like, yeah. Seriously. So good. Okay. So that, that kind of leads us, that's like step three and a half or four. <laughs> what do we have next? <laughs> Um, so I would say next where I saw big shifts in my business was niching and standing out. So for me, I niched into e-commerce and Shopify. I felt like that made me stand out. And I also found that clients consistently had higher budgets and didn't have issues with my pricing as often. And I felt like it was just because they saw a lot of value. It wasn't like I was suddenly putting in more hours into my packages. In fact, I put in less time into my Shopify projects sometimes than I used to into WordPress or even Squarespace. Like, so for me, it was just an easy way to stand out, but there's lots of ways that you can niche. You can niche by platform. You can niche by business type. So maybe you only work with photographers or you only work with interior designers. And I feel like all of a sudden your marketing becomes so much more clear about who you're talking to. Um, sometimes I have seen designers are like a lot of times their mission statement is I work with small businesses and I'm like, okay, that is not a niche. I'm sorry. Like, or I had one person tell me I work with anyone who pays me money. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, okay. Let's get more specific. Um, so you want to get more specific on your, your ideal client. I also do think though that you can niche by style. So I just want to throw that out there that I know there are some designers who are like, but I love working with all types of industries and I totally get that but you have to be a pretty good designer and be very honed in, I think, to niche by style. But I do think it's possible because you could, maybe your style is more minimal. Like, so that's what you become known for. Or maybe you're more colorful and girly or whatever. Like you can totally do that. So the idea is that you just want to be known for something specific and have someone think of you and think of your brand 
when they like see something, they're like, oh, that is so Morgan Rap, right? Like if they saw my design, like that's what you want. Instead, you're going, because there are more designers out there. Um, I do think there's more small businesses too, but that means like you need to stand out in some way and get more specific, which can be so scary because you're like, I'm scared of alienating, you know, these other clients or other businesses, but the problem, you're going to run into a problem of not being able to attract anyone. So it's like, you got to get specific, you know? I've honestly been so nervous that my kids are going to come pounding on the door. So, because <laughs> they've done that before. I've been in the middle of calls and like I forgot because I have to lock three doors. So I've forgotten one of them and they're just like, come like right here. And there's like a head. I'm like, ah. <laughs> so no worries. I love that so much. And as we're recording this, Corey and I are running our Get Back to Design Accelerator. And there are two ladies in there specifically who we have been encouraging and helping to niche down. And the difference having a really specific niche makes in just absolutely everything from the ease of marketing to the ease of crafting services to the power of the copy on the website is so absolutely incredible. And I feel like a lot of people put it off because it's kind of uncomfortable to do. It's hard to do. It's hard to find a unique niche that really fits you, but it's so incredibly worth it. And that's I'm like so glad that that's part of this because it's incredible how niching down can transform your business in seriously so many ways. Um, not just being able to charge oh, more. For sure. Yeah. I feel like you find so much more clarity too on your target market. And like, it's funny because we do branding like all day long, a lot of times as designers, but then we struggle really clarifying for ourselves what our target customer looks like. And so once you niche, it's just like, it all falls into place. And I also think it's so difficult to be an expert on everything and to keep up with the changes all the time on platforms, right? Like Shopify is a different animal than WordPress and that, and WordPress is different than Squarespace. And now there's Webflow, like there's so many options and you can't stay updated on everything all the time. And so you're not going to be able to serve your clients in the best possible way. So I think that it makes so much sense sometimes to be like specific to WordPress, specific to Squarespace. And you also are able to create systems much easier and which also increases your profitability because you can be faster on projects. Like if you are working consistently with the same platform or also the same client type, like you can just create systems much easier instead of having like 10 different systems depending on their business type and which platform they're on. Right. So it just, it makes so much sense, but it's so scary. and something that I resisted for a while um, until I finally realized I was doing myself a disservice by working with everyone. And it does suck sometimes when I get an inquiry and, you know, they're like, Hey, I have a blog on WordPress and I need this and that. And I'm like, you know, I actually don't work with WordPress right now, but here's some awesome people. Let me send you, you know, their way or whatever. Um, but uh, I think it's been the best thing. And that's where I saw so much growth. And I was also perceived as more of an expert, which also made me able to increase my prices. Because when I had conversations with clients, I was like, I only work with Shopify. Like, so that made me stand out amongst 
everyone else they were talking to who also works with WordPress. Like I was perceived as more of an expert because of that. So I felt like I was able to charge more too. So it all works together and it really worked. Like I resisted it for so long. <laughs> I was like, nope, niching doesn't really work. And I'm like, no, it totally does. Right. It really, really does. So what is, what is our next step here? Yeah. So we sort of talked about it and I just wanted to talk about it a little bit more in depth, um, value-based pricing. So changing up my pricing model was a huge thing for me and one of the biggest shifts I made. And I sort of talked about the differences already, like between hourly and flat rate and value-based pricing. But for me, like if you look at any agency website, like they don't have their prices on there. And you know why? It's because they're value-based pricing, but all majority, not all, but majority of like people in our space or designers in our space have their pricing on their website. They don't do value-based pricing. And I think it's because it does take some time and it takes some learning and like becoming better as sales and things like that, like we talked about. So I totally get why, um, because you're not used to like doing sales and it's like kind of uncomfortable talking about numbers and stuff. But I do think it is the next step to scaling where you change up your pricing depending on the value to the client, but you need to get better at asking the right questions and really asking about their goals and stepping into that expert role, which takes some practice. But once you start to get in your stride, you'll realize it's totally worth it. So I was able to like triple my prices and the most I charged for a website, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. The client told me I was cheap. So that was like a huge thing for me where I realized, oh my gosh, I left money on the table, even with this really high priced website, I thought, but to her, it was very inexpensive. Um, but she ran an architect company, had like a hundred employees and works on multi-million dollar projects like colleges and things like that. So yeah, to her, it was cheap, right? Or she also walked, talked to other agencies that charge $100,000 for a website. So I think that you have to remember that there are companies out there that charge $100,000 for websites, $500,000, even more for branding. Like, you know what I mean? So really, we don't charge that much relative to other companies. Um, and I think we forget that just because we're like, oh, there's so many small designers, but there are companies out there that charge a lot more. And that used to be the only option for companies. They had to get out loans to even do their branding and their website. And they had to have budgets of at least $20,000 plus. And so I feel like now, like there's so many smaller businesses like us who work under $20,000 budgets and they're kind of lucky. And I think we forget that those other bigger agencies exist and we're actually fairly inexpensive compared to them. That That is like a really good point. And honestly, I didn't even know that people charged as much as you were saying, but like your experience with someone telling you that your price was cheap, I think just goes to show that no matter what your price point is, there's going to be a group of people that says you're inexpensive and there's a group of people that are going to say you're, you're too expensive and I feel like a lot of times if someone tells us that we're too expensive we take that really personally we like you know question all the decisions we're making and everything we're doing that just means that was the wrong person that doesn't mean there are, aren't thousands of other people out there that we're going to think that was cheap or the perfect price or whatever so we need to like stop letting uh, the side of people who think we're too expensive kind of dictate the decisions we make about our businesses 
For sure. Like you could charge $500 for a logo and someone would still say, oh my gosh, that's so expensive. (laughs) Right? Like, so yeah, it doesn't really matter what your prices are. Ultimately, you have to be okay with those no's. Like you're going to hear it. And also as you raise your prices, you're going to hear more no's. And that is uncomfortable. It is sort of a mindset thing um, where like that happened to me and I was like, what am I doing wrong? Like, oh, my price is too much, blah, blah, blah. And I realized it was just part of the process of scaling and working with less clients was hearing more no's um, because I was more like I'm more than a lot of like smaller studios now. And I have to be okay with that. But I just had to keep in mind, like I'm looking for quality over quantity now. So there's going to be less clients working with me. And I just got in a yes phase where it felt so good to hear those yeses and to take on all these projects. And it just took me to burnout. Like that's all I got out of that. And so I was just, okay, I'm like taking things to the next level. I'm going to hear more no's. That's okay. Um, and yeah, you just have to realize that's part of the process. Yeah, I totally agree. So that was a value-based pricing. Are there more steps after this? Um, I mean, I think there, you can get into more with scaling. Like, you know, if there, your next step is you're so busy, you need to subcontract and hiring and things like that. Um, I would say overall, I'm not going to go like super in depth with this because it's kind of its own animal, but I think that when you are doing everything in your business, you're not going to be able to be in your genius zone as often. So I would say the next step would be to look at hiring out things that you hate doing in your business so that you like your business again, even if it's on a small level. I think I listened to an episode recently where you guys talked about when you started out with five hours, like a month or something, having someone help you. Like it can be so small because it's hard to give up that control Also, you can hire out bits and pieces of the process. So maybe you have someone help you just download those images from Pinterest and create the mood board. Or maybe, you know, you're doing then the logo and then someone else is also supporting you on creating some secondaries, right? Like, so you can kind of ease into hiring if you're uncomfortable and it's hard finding someone who you feel like can just replace you. But I, and I also usually suggest hiring out things that are more like like checking email or sending out contracts or project management like those things are a little bit easier to hire out than design support um but yeah so those are just kind of some of like my thoughts around that but that would be the next step to scaling if you wanted to be more of like an agency would be hiring so i'm actually pretty small i thought i wanted an agency for a long time but I kind of don't anymore <laughs> um, just with my lifestyle, with my family and stuff. So right now, like I, my long-term vision is just to stay small. So I do have a junior designer that supports me on projects. And then I've had a VA like off and on. Um, I'm thinking about hiring like a project manager, but like I've been in business a long time and I'm still pretty small. And I know that's like not everyone's vision. Some people do want to be an agency and things like that which is totally cool. For me, it just shifted over the last couple of years where I would rather stay small and focus on having higher level clients and then also having courses and education and things like that in my business. Um, But yeah, so that is the other way you can scale is by hiring more team, but you still need to be bringing clients in and having them rotate in and out 
like, you know, consistently. So. Oh my goodness. So much good stuff. Like seriously, with every one of these steps, I feel like we got like way more than, maybe way more than we bargained for in like a good way though. Probably each be like their own episode too. (laughs) Right. They really could be. So we have believing that you can charge what you need to, a little bonus step of being consistent with your marketing, knowing your numbers and having goals, scaling back your packages, niching down so you can stand out, value-based pricing, and then going on a contract and higher help. And I think that's so incredible. But I also know that a lot of people listening might feel overwhelmed. So do you have like a top action step that you think anyone listening should take today to start making progress towards that figure goal? Yeah, definitely. Um... I would say, I don't know if this is another bonus step to you, but making sure you're also working on your craft and getting better at what you do, right? Because if you're not attracting clients, like you might need to be honest with yourself and look at that and say, okay, is it possibly because my work could maybe be a little bit better or do I need to do some creative projects? Like I'm not attracting the right client. Like I need some really high quality portfolio pieces, Um, sometimes I see that as well, where you need to be honest with yourself and go, okay, like, do I need to work on having a higher quality portfolio that is actually going to attract the ideal client that I want? So I would say having an honest look at all of like, if you're struggling scaling and attracting more clients, having an honest look at the quality of your work. Um, and maybe that would even be scheduling like a zoom call with another designer and ask them what their initial impression was, or maybe a past client or, um, maybe, yeah, like someone, you know, like could help you out and give you some feedback, some outside feedback on where you're at with your portfolio and the quality of your work that you have to offer and where your branding is at as far as what kind of result you are giving clients to, um, looking at your messaging and are you showcasing the results that clients get with you? Because another thing I see designers do a lot of the time is they focus on deliverables. Uh, Clients want results, honestly, that's all they care about. So, and I very rarely see designers talk about that, uh, honestly. So, and another thing I would suggest too is to show up more as yourself and in your marketing. I know we didn't really talk about that as much, but it's really important. Like I still think that people hire people. And once I started showing up on Instagram with my face, like it made a huge difference. People felt like they could connect with me once I didn't just have like normal or like boring stock photos on my website. It was like my face, boom. Like, but it took some kind of confidence and me wanting to be, or me being okay with being seen. I realized I had some things around that. Um, But just right away, I would say, show up on Instagram, show your face, give some value, talk about results that your your past clients have had to get clients in the door. And then from there, you can work on some of the more practical things like learning how to do sales and value-based pricing and things like that. And you can take years to learn those things, or you can invest in yourself and hire a mentor or buy a course if you can't afford a mentor, but like invest in yourself and your education. I think it's so important. And for me, like once I did that, I showed up more in my business and I made those shifts um, because you're forced to work on your business, like, cause you're investing in that. So 
I will probably always be a part of some kind of coaching program or something just because I believe so much in it. Um, so yeah, I would say if you can like do an extra project or two and dedicate that money to investing, like I just plan on it in my budget. Yes. I find a lot of value in doing that too. And it goes back to the mindset shifts. It is one and it's scary at first, but when you start seeing it pay off every time, it just, it gets easier and more exciting when you see this opportunity. So yeah, that's for sure. And like, I used to look at all of that stuff as expenses and now I'm like, okay, like if my, so how I make decisions is I think about it from my future self. I'm like, would my future self invest in this or be grateful that I invest in this? Or if money wasn't the issue, like, would I invest in this? So you kind of need to look at it differently and you need to act from like a future place, which is sort of weird and sounds kind of woo woo, but really it makes so much sense because if you keep doing the same things, you're going to get the same result that you've already had. So it's like, you need to act from your future self and, and start to make those shifts now in order to create that future self and act from that place. So for me, like I've made some scary investments, like, and so I totally get it, but they have definitely paid off and been more than worth it. And I've gotten my investment back times 10 every time, literally. So um, it's totally worth it to do those, even though they're scary. Yes, seriously, we've covered so much in this episode. And I'm so grateful that you shared all of this just so freely, because there are so many directions that we could start taking right now to be making progress. And that's incredible. So where can everyone go to learn more about you, what you offer and keep up with you online? And I'd love for you to tell everyone about any offerings you have for designers as well. Yeah, so you can keep up with me on Instagram at, at Morgan Rap. That's where I tend to hang out and show up consistently. Send me a DM and let me know that you listened to the episode and what your biggest takeaway was. I also have a free worksheet that covers some of these steps and actually goes a little bit more in depth as well that you can download. I believe Chris will put the link in the show notes. And I also have a course called Amplify Shopify which teaches you how to create Shopify e-commerce websites for clients and give more value to your clients. And then I have an accelerator, which is a group coaching program. It's called Design Biz Accelerator, where you can work with me on a more intimate level in a small group and really accelerate your business, dive deeper into value-based pricing, charging more, mindset, just a lot of things that we talked about today in this episode. And you can also find me at morganrap.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Morgan. Everybody listening, we will link to all those things in the show notes, including her checklist that goes over everything we talked about. So be sure to check that out. But thank you so much for being here, Morgan. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. For show notes, past episodes, and more information about the two of us, visit us online at getbacktodesign.co. If you enjoyed today's show, it would mean the world to Krista and I if you take two minutes to head on over to iTunes and leave a review. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe so you can be the first to know when new episodes are available. Now put what you learned into action so you can streamline and grow your business, ditch the code, and get back to design. Mm -hmm.